0: Installment of the SQAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I am your program host, Patrick Egan, and let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson.
1: Hello, Mr. Egan. Boy, I tell you what, the life of a road warrior is interesting, and I sure am glad to be home.
0: <laughs> I, I hear you, my brother. Things are, uh, things are heating up. But, uh, you yes. know, usually this is where I, I jump in and say, you know, what news stories did you see this week, and what's of interest, and blah, blah, blah. But I, we're going to change that to, what news stories were you in this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I would say that uh, we did get a little bit of exposure this weekend, and uh uh it was it was a very interesting 4 days um but first and foremost i i you know a little bit on a more serious note here i think that uh, i'd like to ask for all of our listeners to take a moment and uh, think about uh, Christina Morris uh the 23 year old young lady that we were looking for in Plano Texas that we were unsuccessful on but uh she is still missing and uh, her family could, you know, sure use your thoughts and prayers at this point, and some some positive vibes. But uh you no, know, other than that, I I've got to say that uh, it was a precedent-setting weekend. And uh, you know, if you if you watched any of the major news outlets, uh, you know, unfortunately, a mug was on there, and uh, we were talking about using the, the the unmanned craft in a search and rescue operation. And
0: well, uh, I, go ahead.
1: Uh, and, and it was just it was uh, um, it, it was a bit of a trying time, but uh, man, there was a lot of progress made.
0: Well, it was great. I have to tell you. Okay, so you know, I went to um, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. last week, and I was at the AUVSI headquarters for the FAA Beyond Visual Line of Sight Committee, um, which we'll get to. But during the course of the meeting, you know, there is Gene Robinson and Tim Miller on headline news, and it was great because I could point it out right during the meeting. We're all sitting around the the table with the FAA and you know all the other 25 different groups that are participating, and then I'm like, there it is, right on, on the TV right now. There is Gene Robinson flying a search RP search services right now, you know. And some people were like, oh, you know what, but whatever else. But, I mean, it just, um, it, it was, let's say, opportune timing. Um, it was, it's great. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, I know you've been uh, at this for such a long time. And uh, we actually talked about that a little offline before the show started. And, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a long journey. But the search was a little different. And maybe you can kind of give us the details about how it was different.
1: Yeah, sure. That, that's easy to do. Well, I think uh, as most people, uh, most of our listeners know that we've been doing a lot of work with NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, on the, uh, the, the fire research. And um, uh, to be quite honest with you, this entire operation this past weekend was a NIST operation. Uh, it was NIST equipment, it was flown under the NIST-COA, and uh, it was flown by NIST personnel. It was in conjunction with the plane OPD, and, of course, it, the search was directed. Uh, this, there was a search going on and being directed by Texas EquiSearch. So that's really the, the, the mechanics of how this, this happened. Uh, we Tim Miller had requested the, the unmanned aircraft and wanted to fly them, and the FAA stepped up to the plate I got to tell you I was uh, very impressed with the with the speed and uh, how expeditious they were about getting things through we supplied them with the information that they needed Um, uh, Al Bruner there at the Fort Worth FISDO and and Chris Doherty with the FAA were there and constantly was asking what else can we do can we what else can we get you what else this is what you need to get going and uh, actually having to go through all the permissions, you know, to get permission to use the aircraft was a, a big part of it. But when it's all said and done in the final analysis, the FAA issued us an emergency COA in less than 24 hours.
0: Well, and I just want to stop you for just one second because I, I do want to, you know, we just you just gave credit to some uh, people for doing a good job. And I just want to highlight that, you know, uh, that we also give credit to people when when credit is due. It's not just uh, complaining and whatever else. Um, I think that that's great. I I will say that, um, you know, and you've kind of alluded to this, but the the impressions about the COA process for this search after everything that has been in the news, you think we kind of, we may have turned a corner and people understand a little bit better what you're trying to do
1: you know i do i think that uh, the 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 agency is aware of the benefit that unmanned aircraft can bring to you know searches and first responders and and that sort of thing they're really making an effort to do what they can to get that capability in into the appropriate hands i mean they're not going to, you know, pass it out. You're not you I'm not going to be able to go by a DJI and say, you know, hey, I'm here, I'm ready to go fly. I mean, it's it's uh you're going to have to be, you know, at least proficient and uh, at least have a little bit of uh experience under your belt before they're going to let you do that. But the, the the key is is they looked at it and did the risk assessment and they got it done. And they got right. it done in a in a really timely fashion and and to be I, I'll be the first to admit that you could kind have of knocked me out of my chair with a feather when they came back and said that it was approved, because I, I truly I did not expect it because of past experience, but uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. And We mobilized and put uh, a lot of equipment on the road and, and, and drove the, the five hours up there to, to Plano, and we had four days. They gave us four days. To, to do what we needed to get done. And we had one weather day in there where the head of front come through, kind of a rare September front, and it, and it actually got cold in Texas in September, believe it or not. But wow. uh we Yeah, and, Maybe that's and uh, why you we had to stand down. Like a- <laughs> oh cold day. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. I like that one. But I know. no, uh it was, uh, but it was it was a precedent setting weekend, I think, uh, and it showed that there was a willingness there to to work with a, a properly accredited agency to to get it done. So, my hats off to them. The the guys at the FISDO were great. Uh, the guys in D.C. were great, uh, and they and they turned it around. So, you know, hats off to them and, and kudos to the agency. For there you go, right there. We said it. Good words to them.
0: Yeah, the FAA. Good job. Now, it's funny, you to talked about, you know, being qualified and the DJI and all the rest of that. And uh, it's funny, uh, it's not funny, but we had a woman go missing here in my neighborhood. And there's a pretty large rail yard close to my house that's, you know, like fields and... You know, uh, so I came home from the D.C. thing, and my wife's like, oh, you know, this woman's missing, you know, and I just, you know, maybe we need to go do this. Could you fly? All right, you know, I'll I'll go out here and fly, and it's not a coordinated effort. I'm my own air boss, all the rest of that, but I just said, you know, it's not as, you know, not as easy as just launching the drone, you know. But uh so okay I'm going out there I got my DJI I'm flying the drone around I'm taking video and uh you know and I'm having regrets for giving away my signed copy of yearbook at the expo <laughs> cuz I'm like you know there's a little bit more to it here and it's late in the afternoon and I know you I know you're already thinking about some of the, the the issues with doing this so I'm I'm out there flying around and I'm doing it And uh, late in the afternoon, of course, watch the video and all of the long shadows and how much garbage is out there and, you know, tumbleweeds and what the person is wearing last time they were seen. You know, of course, a lot of people like to wear like, you know, dark colors and yada, yada. So uh, go out there. I do that. I'm looking at the video, you know, and, and taking screenshots and zooming in and all the rest of that. And there's just like a zillion possibles. Yep. Um, So I'm like, okay, well, you know, again, I know that you've been doing this for so long. You guys know what to look for and false, you know, positives and the rest of that. And I go out there and I found, you know, garbage and T-shirts and tumbleweeds. And, you know, I did find a homeless camp. Some other stuff that I uh, passed on to the uh, the the police and said, "Hey, we got problems out here." But was not very uh, successful in finding anything else. Luckily, the woman has been found alive elsewhere. But um, I I did want to make that point that uh, you know I know that there's a lot of people that are out there in the social media sphere who think that you know any anybody with a you know thousand dollar UAV can go out and be do search and rescue with the drone. And, and, and I, I, uh, I've i I've, I've delved into this subject, but, uh, man, you know, even with what I know, I was like, I, I know this is going to be next to impossible. So you know, any thoughts on, on the, uh, the amateur search and rescue guy out on his own?
1: Well, you know, it, it's commendable. I mean, I, everybody wants to give back to the community, and, and that's a commendable thing to do. And I encourage it. Uh, but, you know, you've got to encourage it in the right way. You need to you go out there and you need to, to hook up and, and establish those ties with your local law enforcement agency or your first responder or your search team. And, you know, you need to educate yourself first. It's not just a matter of knowing how to fly an aircraft. There's significantly more to that, and, and that's the part that you need to educate yourself on. If you're truly going to be serious about trying to do search and rescue with unmanned aircraft, because there's an interface with uh, the, the incident command, you've got to deal with the, the police force, the local police force, you've got to deal with searchers on the ground. There's just a heck of a lot more to it than being able to control your aircraft and fly it over a field. But with that said, you know if, if you're really serious about it and it does take a commitment, you have to commit to it because it, it takes some work but I highly recommend it. You'll find nothing more gratifying than going out there and making a difference with your unmanned aircraft.
0: I know. I've got to get another copy of the book because um, and the one thing, you know, again, when you deal with professionals, I mean, you know, and uh, I, I know in the book, you know, it talks about um, how to effectively, you know, view the imagery and all the rest of that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm over here. I could have missed, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, again, I mean, I wasn't like, Hey, I'm out here and, you know, calling the media. I'm going out here to look for somebody, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm just giving it a shot, but, uh, there's a lot to it. And I, I think that that's, uh, you've given some good advice on that. And so going out on your own and, and trying to do this stuff is very difficult, but, uh, and, again, you know, the equipment that I'm using, uh, you know, good entry-level stuff. But uh, I, on your search in the Plano thing, uh, do you want, you want to talk about the systems that you guys were using? Uh, you weren't using your system, were you?
1: No, 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 no. We weren't using our system. Uh, uh, NIST has the, uh, the the full kind of description of what the, the system is and how it was being used, and I'd encourage folks to go there to their website, it's nist.gov, and look at the, the WUI research But uh, uh, I can tell you that they were the the MLB Superbat. And uh, the MLB Superbat, Steve Morris' aircraft, is a capable aircraft. Uh, It uh, flies for a long time. Of course, you know, we weren't flying it for the, the durations that it could have been flown for. We were fairly short, covering, you know, a couple of square miles at a time. But that's the way you conduct a search. So, uh, you know, it's a, a matter of just moving about, setting up, launching, you know, getting the data, coming back down, breaking down, moving to the next station, and, and doing it until you're done. Uh, you know, that's a very uh, simplistic way of doing it. But, uh, you know, the SuperBat is a sophisticated system. It uses the, the, the Piccolo, the CloudCat Piccolo, and, you know, there, there's a learning curve to that even. Yes, but yes. But it's, it's a very capable system.
0: I've experienced that uh, part of the project that I was on for the Navy. Um, Now, so this was all in visual line of
1: sight. Of course, all visual line of sight. We've kept it at uh, 400 feet and, uh, you know, observers, the full, full crew. So, and, and there were, you know, I'm I'm happy to report that uh, the, the entire time we were out there, we never even came close to general aviation, uh, that We maintained separation, and it was just – it was flawless. The, the entire four days, except for the weather, uh, the operations-wise were just flawless, and it, it worked perfectly. It worked exactly as designed.
0: Now, do you think uh, – now, you talked about uh, having to break down and move around and, and do all of these other things, but uh, is there an efficiency case for beyond visual line-of-sight operations?
1: Well certainly there would be and I recognize the risks of going beyond line of sight but for example uh, there would have been two areas that we could have flown in one flight if we had had beyond line of sight capabilities or permission and it would have been easy to cross over the next field and and do it rather than having to pick up and move the way we did. I can certainly see the argument there However, I can see the risk involved because when that bird gets out to your your line of vision, you really have to to stay focused on it and make sure you have separation between aircraft and it gets kind of intense there when it gets out that far so I get the fact that you know you get out past that line of sight you're going to you're not going to be able to deconflict that's all there is to it, and uh, it would be up to the the other aircraft to, to stay out of your way. Now, that being said, if you had a TFR or something like that, where you could close the airspace, then absolutely, you know, you'd go for it, keep the aircraft out, but you know, that's not something that they typically do for a search for an individual. Now that could change. Um, you know, of course, everybody remembers Steve Fawcett and that sort of thing, uh, there was a lot of concessions made during that one. Of course, he was a very wealthy man and, and quite the aviation buff as well. But, uh, you know, I, I get it. Uh, the, the beyond line of sight would have been nice. We could have probably done it in half the time. But closing the airspace would have been problematic.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, and that's kind of um, what I contend, you know. There's the issue still with the visual line of sight envelope. Um, and then the Beyond visual line of sight envelope and some of the things that you just hit on. And we're going to have to talk offline because I'm going to need some information from you. But some of what you just hit on is actually what I think either envelope or even between the envelopes really, uh, where it really matters because there is a economy of scale in, in these envelopes. You know, you, you were talking about the, the uh, time that you could have flown or the areas that you could have flown, um, but there was a lot of time spent breaking down, you know, I guess uh, putting everything on the, the vehicles and then moving to the next stop and setting up and, and getting ready to fly and all the phone calls and everything else that's required to do um, is actually, let's say, eroding the, the benefits of using the technology, and i and I think that that's gonna overlay on um a lot of other industries you know where where's the uh where's the efficiency get eroded to the point that it's no longer worth using the aircraft and that's the thing that's always kind of you know, concerned me about the airspace integration effort. If you put too much onerous regulation on there, you restrict where you can fly or how you can fly or whatever else, it just gets to the point where um, it doesn't make sense anymore. And the analogy that I kind of use is the Part 135 operator and let's say the aviation company chalets on the flight line at either the Paris Air Show or the Farnborough Air Show. Somebody's making a lot of money in this aviation field, but it's usually not the guy out there on the end. And maybe that's due to over-regulation, possibly. I don't know. There could be other issues there. But that's going to be my guess.
1: The the one thing that did become very evident in this entire process that we went through is that a lot of that logistic risk and the logistic effort could be mitigated by using a, a smaller system. Mm-hmm. Obviously the 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 logistics for a system like a superbat are more involved and and uh, demand quite a bit more. However, if you had gone to something say the spectra where you could go and you could fly, you know, a square mile very quickly land, just throw it in the truck and then move over to the next spot and fly it, then that kind of mitigates that that whole thing about, you know, when is your you know re- diminishing return realized? because it would have been very easy to move from spot to spot with a smaller system that had less demands placed on it from a system standpoint.
0: Right. But I I think this also shows as a good example of kind of tying back into the regulatory side of it. So, I mean, you used the NIST equipment and the NIST COA and and all of the, uh, the, let's say, the NIST overhead. And so you had to use the NIST aircraft, which were probably a little bit of an overkill for visual line of sight
1: correct I would agree I would agree with that assessment
0: so if you were able to get the the COA and fly the spectra and use the overhead from you know the search services or or whatever then probably been um a lot less overhead and time and money and transportation and all the rest of that that's that's pretty much what you're saying in a nutshell
1: certainly yeah I mean you know you can scale it scale up scale down
0: and it kind of circles back to exactly what I'm saying.
1: And, again, you know,
0: it's kind of, and I don't want to, you know, beat the uh, or belabor the point here, but, again, you know, the risk of flying the Superbat's a great aircraft, um, you know, MLB's a good company and all the rest of that, but, uh, you know, really it could have been done with the Spectra, which weighs a lot less, kinetic energy thing, and uh, a lot less of a, I would call, hazard because of its construction, um and whatnot. Um so it's it's kind of a it's it, it when you really like you step back and you look at the case study, it's kind of bizarre. But I think that things like this, uh, you know, I mean it would be excellent for you to write I could task you with a bunch of work, but it would be excellent for you to like write <laughs> up a report about what we're talking about here. I uh, um you know, and say, "Hey, this this is kind of what's going on." And I think I'm going to task you with something for the committee work. And I do want to talk about uh, the the Beyond Visual Line of Sight committee that the Kappa was um, invited to join. And that was the reason I was in Washington D.C. last week. That's right. Um, That's right. You know, we are we're sworn to secrecy again, which seems a little silly to me, but uh, you know, them's the rules. I don't know, I, it just it never, it really hasn't made any sense to me that, uh, you know, public rulemaking has got to be private, you know. People keep talking about their proprietary data, but, you know, I, uh, sorry, you know, I, I haven't really seen anything use-wise or application-wise that someone else couldn't learn to do on their own, you know. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. What do you say about that?
1: I know. Use wise, uh, there there could be a lot of studying to be done on that.
0: There could be, but I, I'm uh, you know I think people there's a lot of confusion. There is a big disconnect. Uh, I I would I would almost uh, from my observation I will say that I don't think that anybody has a high altitude. What's going on with the airspace integration process in the U.S. I don't feel that anybody's got a good handle on that. There's just too many different projects going on, too many different, um, let's say, studies and, and, and work uh, products being worked on that other people know nothing about, you know. And I, and I see this repeatedly. You know, the RTCA is working away on stuff. Again, what happens all the time is they move to the big stuff almost immediately, the big stuff, the command and control that they're working on, you know, is definitely DoD legacy vendor stuff, you know. And and I keep saying, you know, where am I going to buy this stuff? Am I going to get it surplus on eBay? You know, I can't. You can't buy it. So what is even the point? There's no point to it. Um, I will say that uh, the other groups on the committee that are there, there, are about 25 different groups: energy, real estate, mapping, engineering. Um you know uh, delivering of packages, all the rest of that stuff uh, all of I, and I said in the room that the R Kappa membership everybody is all we we've, we've already our members have already done it or are doing it or have done it um, in the past, almost everything that everybody in the room wants to do. Not a really good understanding of of uh how these operate and again the economy of of scale that we kind of talked about. Um, some people, I would say the uses, there's some, there's some easy, you know, I think there's some low hanging fruit there. And then I think that there is, some um, stuff that's going to be really hard. Uh, the delivery stuff, I, I just, um, uh, the, the problem set that needs a solution oh, yeah. is just humongous. I mean, you're going to write code. To avoid, you know, trees and power lines and trucks and cars and houses and antennas and airports and you know trains and kids and dogs and I mean it's it's huge. And then I don't think people really understand how the old aviation thing works. But I don't want to. Well, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, even from a more practical sense of this thing, if there were copters coming in and dropping off your DVD. I, I know I'm down here from the, you know, the land of the south, and the, hey, y'all watch this. But you know, the first buber that had a DVD land on his front porch, he'd be standing there with a blanket ready to throw over that thing when it came over, because he was gonna have one. They'd lose the first million, probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look what I captured me. I, yeah, and, and then I could see it, the taxidermis, you know, on the wood background. You got the deer and the elk and the drone over the yep. over the fireplace. The drone skin yeah. cap. <laughs> well, the good points are is we've got um, the one thing that's good about tech, and as I had kind of uh, alluded to in my presentation at the uh, Expo 20. Let's see, 13, I guess. Um, It would be good to get tech in here. I got a lot of uh, energy and money. Where the good points are, we're getting major media attention. Everybody's interested in what Google and Amazon are doing. Um, Lots of new energy, boatload of money. Um, I will say that there is a total, you know, I mean, big time anti-DOD. And it's not just apprehension, it's total disdain. Nobody even wants any part of it at all. They don't even want any association, nothing. And then also that would probably go uh, also from the people I've talked to with the police. Nobody's really interested. And I've got to be honest, I think it would be a great tool for the police, but that's just such an uphill battle. Um, I don't want to get bogged down in that one. They really need uh, a lot of help. They need uh, some good PR. I, I, you know, I, 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 just, I don't have the bandwidth, money, time, whatever, to deal with that issue. And that's kind of one of the, the, the ethos behind the Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo is we just don't even want to go there. It's just business. That's yeah. all we want to do. And that's what everyone else is interested in is, is making a profit. So uh, I will probably be typing some stuff up on the r site, have my own ideas on how we will approach the tasking, but it will definitely be from a business standpoint of view and that economy of scale that we kind of talked about, the different aircraft and what we can do and the the different operating envelopes. And that was one thing. really doesn't even matter what the definitions are, if they exist or not. It's kind of what you're going to need with different size systems to make any money. You know, and I I kind of alluded to that, you know, if you have to spend a, if we get the, the, the DOD, let's say product pipeline, how do you write a million dollar or a $5 million, $55 million, $300 million system in your business plan? And even for companies like Amazon, you're going to have to deliver a lot of DVDs to get your return on investment on that. We'll see. We'll see what happens as that comes along i think that's going to take a while so we'll probably be hearing about that in the future the other thing i wanted to talk about was uh gary uh put on down there in south africa conservation our past 2014 and uh if you haven't seen that um you, you, you need to look at the videos because uh, everybody down there like gary has been tracking uh Cats and jackals and other animals, and I've been using really low-cost systems to um, do some conservation work, and there's other people that presented that are following birds of prey and uh, other things like that. I think we're going to add that to the SUS News, um, let's say, symposium mix. And uh, that'll be another thing to watch out for. Again, all of the videos are available on the Internet like we do with the Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo, so you can kind of learn. It's, again, empirical type of, of uh, uses and knowledge. It's not guesswork or people making stuff up. We're trying to, you know, bring you the good stuff here. I don't know if you caught that, Gene. Did you catch any of those videos? Yeah. Or?
1: Yeah. Uh, ahead, yeah. I, I watched them after we got back last, uh, last night or night before last and haven't gotten caught up yet, though. So.
0: I hear you. It's been kind of busy. But anyway, I think this is a good show, informative. Uh, Again, you know, thanks for your time, sir. I know we've all been busy and the podcasts are getting spotty, but hopefully here in the (laughs) coming winter we'll have a little bit more time to spend more time on uh, the podcast and Drone TV and all the rest of the other offerings that we have. Yep. So, again, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll see you on the next show.
1: Okay, sounds good. Take care.